Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass has a I kind of really hate Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. If you're a fan, keep loving them. It's a deficiency with me. Uh, I keep feeling, you know, I should appreciate them more because my sister was such a great fan, but 40 years and counting, and it's just not sticking. This is Undiluted Hocus Pocus on Who Killed Teresa. Every family loves a game. Puzzles are a great pastime, a necessary gift every December holiday to get you through the winter blahs of January. One Christmas, we gave my dad a puzzle of Tony Esposito, that great Chicago Blackhawks goalkeeper. I just remember a lot of white from that sweater and a lot of ice, too much ice for my liking. Another Christmas, my sister gave him a print of M.C. Escher's Belvedere, sort of this impossible cube building, kind of in a way a reference to Soma. And she told him, you're an engineer, you figure it out. More recently, the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle has made a comeback under two years of lockdown. I know I did one myself just this last January. You don't have to play the horses Life's a gamble all the same It don't take much to make you lose sight Of the object of the game Cribbage goes way back in my family I remember marathon sessions over the holidays with my grandparents, aunts and uncles crouched around the dining room table, gray oval of cigarette smoke looming overhead, intensely competitive affairs. We liked card games too, mostly Crazy Eights and Ramoli. I once had a girlfriend who would invite me over winters to her cottage near Creemore, Ontario. Her parents always seemed so excited to see me. It was only later that I realized I represented the fourth hand in a fine snow-in afternoon bridge event. Another girlfriend's parents were obsessed with the card game 500, a form of euchre. We all became quite close. The only gift I ever recall giving them was a cheap automatic card shuffler. They were ecstatic. Some family games are quite cruel. In HBO's television series, Succession, the Roy family is engaged in a number of these competitive games. In episode one, there's The Game, a winner-take-all grim baseball event. The memory game I went to market is featured in the Thanksgiving episode. 
And then of course, there's the infamous boar on the floor. I've witnessed families playing many of these psychological social mind games during holiday gatherings. Often it's the wealthy and privileged who can afford to lose an emotional stripe. I suppose unsolved murder has always been considered as a sort of a game or a puzzle, but the comparison reached an apex in the late 1880s with the Whitechapel murders and Jack the Ripper. After the last murder in the canonical five, Mary Jane Kelly went unsolved, the news began to report on an epidemic of murder, a world-sweeping phenomena extending to Europe and North America. As the London Ripper's identity was still a puzzle to the police, the New York Herald then made the illogical leap to suggest he could be anyone, anywhere. In 1889, the newspaper described a Paris Jack the Ripper sort of sensation, then told of a 60-year-old concierge who had had her throat slashed by three hooligans. Not very Ripper-like. The Herald went on to report of a man arrested for attempting to dissect a woman on the banks of the Thames, then proclaimed, nobody thinks he is the Ripper. Nine bad jacks, shouted the 1892 headline in the St. Paul Globe, perhaps an allusion to a uniform hand of cards. The Northwestern paper told the tales of Jack the Murderer from Australia and the New York Ripper, all of them puzzles to the police and public. An elderly woman dubbed Shakespeare for her ability to recite long passages from the Bard was known to roam the streets of Lower Manhattan. When Shakespeare was found murdered in a tenement house slashed about the lower abdomen, police at once concluded New York had been paid a visit by the original Ripper. Any ruffian with even a shadow resemblance to the Whitechapel M.O. became suspect. According to the New York Recorder, the city also had a Jack the Slasher, Jack the Smiler, and Jack the Kisser. <laughs> Jack the Ink Thrower wasn't even a murderer, merely a public nuisance prone to splattering women's skirts with, well, you know, ink. This, and of course, and it only stands to reason, led to copycat Jack the Water Thrower. You can guess what he did. Jack the Peeper peeped. Jack the Hugger groped. Jack the Haircutter. The New York Recorder tells us this title explains itself, but I don't think it does. Do explain. For over three months, this gentleman terrorized the Lower East Side by snipping hair locks of women as they window shopped along streets of New York. Police searched for Jack the Haircutter for months without success, surmising he probably sold the hair to a salon wig maker at a good price. Puzzles the police. As reported in the New York Times in 1915, five-year-old Lenora Kong was found slashed in the tenement where she lived on the 3rd Avenue and 25th Street. The assailant left a handprint print on her throat. Police said, larger than average. 
Clutched in her left hand were several strands of gray hair. So, two pieces of physical evidence. Lenora had been sent by her mother to fetch a pail of milk and was found in a stairwell only a few feet from her apartment door. The puzzle to detectives is why the child should have descended this flight when she was already within a few feet of her own door. A second puzzle is the appearance on the eighth and ninth steps of the south staircase of drops of blood. The Times reported Lenora was killed by a Jack the Ripper. Six weeks later, when four-year-old Charlie Murray was found slashed in the same manner in the same neighborhood and also in the hallway of his apartment building, the press heralded second Ripper murder astounds New York police. The murders of Charlie and Lenora were never solved. Ripper lore had made the jump into the 20th century. I've been away. I think uh, when I last checked in here, I then fucked off to Canada, spending a week in in Atlantic Canada, uh, in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, saw the wonder of SJ. Um, I was staying at the Delta Hotel downtown, uh, which I prefer to uh, the Hilton, the only other option. The Hilton's the only, the only hotel I've ever experienced that is on the water, but still manages to feel claustrophobic. So the Delta it was, and um, because the Delta is over Brunswick Square, uh, I, I, I experienced the, the wonder of modern shopping in Brunswick Square. There must be uh, 50 available units, and I believe four of them occupied. Um, and if you think that's a downer, just, just, just walk down the street to Prince Edward Square Mall and you'll, you'll really see how far um, retail has, uh, has taken a hit in St. John. People will probably blame it on modern conditions. I can tell you it was always that way. It's been that way for 40 years, having grown up there. By by chance, one uh, one morning I had bought a coffee, and this is for all you preservationists out there. I had bought a coffee in the old St. John Market, and was heading uh, uptown. Um, if you, <laughs> uh, the distinction between uptown St. John and downtown St. John is um, about three blocks. <laughs> and, and and then of course both locales last about three blocks so um <laughs> what what wouldn't even feel feel midtown manhattan manages to get uh uh <laughs> place within this urbanized in uh, landscape in, in saint john which is a kick it's a hoot but anyway uh out the front door of the saint john market um and uh and then 
heading heading uh i don't know what is that east uh, through the old loyalist burial ground i happened it was early it was seven o'clock in the morning i happened to witness the final demise of the brown house um as i was coming up the the hill um the irvings uh, like thieves in the night had arrived with a backhoe and we're in the process of taking that structure down. There's been a lot of controversy about that building as being one of the only, you know, wooden structures. I don't know if it's pre-1877 St. John Fires, but it's wood and a bunch of people uh, like it and thought it should be saved. And Irving said, no, it's our property. We want to raise it and put it in a park. Which is their business. Uh, look, I'll just say, uh, I, you know, I, when I got there, I was uh, confronted with a CBC reporter, of all things, who who stuck a mic in my face and said, what do I think about it? I was noncommittal. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, I'm not going to say what I really think on public television. Um, but I'll tell you now. I, I mean, sitting there watching this backhoe strip away the layers it confirmed to me what I had already suspected since it had been a denizen as a, as a, a meth house for, for years that there wasn't anything of value inside. I mean, layer on layer of, you know, cheap wood and uh, formica, um, cheap tile in, in bathrooms, uh, radiate, you know, it was water heaters, radiators. It was typical crap. Um, that's not historic St. John. I grew up in a historical uh, South End St. John home. So I know what they look like. And that ain't it, man. Uh, that thing wasn't worth saving um, by advocates who probably never lived a day of their life in the South End. Uh, not only did I live there, my parents lived there for 40 years um, and witnessed because they could see it from the window of their of their unit um, how over the years that 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 building had become a blighted de you know, denizen to to the drug culture um, and you couldn't you couldn't police or control it um, uh, and no one was going to step in to save it so it goes end of, end of story scene scene <laughs> the brown house there's lots of wooden structures still in st john all along leinster uh, uh elliot row pitt street you name it but uh, that one at the corner of is it king and uh wentworth i think it is it's not one of them so that's my preservation soapbox uh designed specifically for people who live in the maritimes in atlantic canada and <laughs> for the 60 percent of you who live in the united states i guess you can go fuck yourselves <laughs> uh no come on now um i'll give you a few updates here about some things you know it's it's hard writing i'm talking about writing now in a, in a vacuum you know, on your own, you never really know if you've, you know, you've laid a, a golden egg or flaming turd. And um, this last month um, was tense working on the manuscript for that case is not here. 
uh, with an editor. Um, but in the end, you know, it helped me see the light and kind of, you know, I'll, I'll argue a point, but if you push back and, and make your case, I'll, 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 and I see it, I'll, I'll move on. And, uh, it's, so it's good to have some fresh eyes on the thing. Um, and, and notice at places where I'd kind of gone too far, which I kind of knew and, and needed to just chop further and other places where I needed to expand stuff. Um, with more clarifying information. So, you know, the good news is that the project isn't a do-over and we're moving along at a good pace to have the manuscript submitted to the publisher um, by the late summer, which is very good. But because there's a lag time in this process, receiving edited chapters and, and, and then allowing for the proper time to, for your, to, to ponder them and, and all of that, um, I'm already thinking about a, a third book project, and I've already discussed that with um, my people. I knew these people, um, and uh, you, you know, one one idea is to continue with the current formula of, of like a, a true crime puzzler, something historical, forgotten, no one's heard of it, blah 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 blah. You know, in my in my wheelhouse. The, the other thought is to kind of flip the script and offer something a little different, uh, not murder, uh, but mass disaster and crisis, something, something, you know, in that sphere. Um, it would still, you know, kind of a theme for me is uh, this sense of the, the, the fear and the powerlessness of the individual against these forces, these agencies, institutions. Um, so that still would, would be the fire. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still workshopping it. I'm, I'm workshopping it. But because of that, I, I can tell you one idea that, um, um, you know, came up again and I discussed with my agent again about, about maybe turning this into a, a book project, but uh, again, just, you know, became floats and, and jets and uh and that and, and now i'm going to say it i i've not disclosed this but it's probably not going to happen as a as a book so i want to say it it's the 1984 bombing of montreal's uh, guerre centrale railway station um that that story is still widely remembered but i have a theory about what happened and why uh, that's never been explored. And it's been, you know, it's been uh, rolling around in my head for, for a number of years. And, I, and I'm sitting on like a shit ton of documents and records, um, a, a cache of photos. I mean, I did at one time, I had like a ton of research on this. And it's probably time that, that I do something with that and just, put it uh, aside. Um, you know, I always knew that it, it would be a hard sell as a, as a book. Uh, it doesn't have broad appeal. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how, you know, I don't think an American audience, you'd have to find a way to universalize that. And I'm not, I'm not good at that. I don't really want to, you know, contemporize it and draw comparisons to 
you know, bombings in Paris or in, in France and things like this. That's, I, I, I think that's really kind of easy writing. I keep being pushed into that. Oh yeah. Take the historical and tell us why it's relevant today. And I just think, why? <laughs> the readers aren't stupid. They'll see why it's relevant. You don't, you don't have to overtly state a thesis statement or write a manifesto. I think that's cheap and 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 really insulting to to the audience reader. You get what I'm saying because I do it all the time. Talk about a case and you immediately make the connections with today. That's the way it is. Um, but but anyway, the 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 bombing of the Montreal uh, railway station downtown Montreal might be ripe for a podcast series. So that thinking of that, uh, more more on that in just a second. But it's one of the reasons why a lot of the photos I'll, I'll put in newsletters and things like that are of Gare Centrale today. I think there was one over Christmas of the the Christmas tree in the station. Um, because I often, every time I'm there, I go and um, I kind of canvas the place and, and I know, you know, the locations. I know where the bomb went off and those lockers, which is now a McDonald's um, and where the bathroom was, which played a part in the event. Uh, there's a tunnel to the Queen Elizabeth Hotel and that plays a part in, in, in that story. So really kind of mapping it, the, the structure of the, the whole place. We'll see. We'll see. If you play dominoes and you've taken a turn at rummy and you like them, then you're going to flip over domino rummy. It's a new card game that combines the tactics of dominoes and the strategy of rummy, a card game that will test your willingness to be aggressive and take chances. But most of all, it's fun. It's fun the whole family can enjoy. The Domino Rummy card game. Look for this display in these stores. Get Domino Rummy at all Cleveland area hobby centers and at all Cunningham drugstores. About the podcast. So, look, the end of December was really wrought with, I would suppose, a lot of um, built up tension and uh, exhaustion, really. Um, I needed to get away to my my home um and the I, I this i'll tell you this inner voice told me that i was supposed to if you believe in this stuff change nothing and continue with immaculate consistency change nothing and continue with immaculate consistency so this is what we're going to do with on the on the podcast front I'm going to continue to publish Undiluted Hocus Pocus as a podcast, but under the umbrella of Who Killed Teresa? And with an immediate emphasis on the murder part of problems, puzzles, and sometimes murder. I was going to wait for that a little bit, but uh, let's just cut to the chase and get to what everybody wants and do it with brutal consistencies. Um... And, and besides, uh, having thought about it, I still have some Quebec investigative muscle to flex in that arena. I'm not I'm not finished there. I still got a whole pile of levers that remain unpulled. 
And let's be honest, only an idiot drops the true crime component of their podcast on the eve of publishing a true crime book. That doesn't make a whole lot of business sense to me. And and as I alluded to, there, there's a bunch of cases that I'm dying to weigh in on that, frankly, a bunch of people have made a lot of stupid assumptions about. And, and I kind of, I just, I need to you know, enter the space and and have my say about them and be a smarty pants and then fuck off. Um, so we'll, you'll see that very, very quickly. Some cases we talked about before, um, I, I'm going to have like updates on, but they'll be within the, the umbrella of undiluted hocus pocus. Kind of, you know, just to show things kind of like, like, you know, a sushi wrapped, <laughs> you know, so the, the, the tuna and avocado will be the case wrapped in a, in a, in a lovely, um, rice, uh, rice, <laughs> rice thingy of, of, of a puzzle or a game, or, uh, you know, something of that. You, you get what I'm saying, despite my lack of articulation. You may have noticed I've, on the Substack front, I've put up a paywall and begun a subscription tier where you get more content if you choose to make a money contribution. And it's your choice. There's no pressure. But it was time to move to that stage I've spent a year and a half observing and, and, and tinkering with Substack and watched what others are doing and watched where others are successful and where others fell on their ass, quite frankly. Um, and uh, so this is just a, a fine tuning. Um, and and, and it'll, it's going to go like this. Paying subscribers will get the bonus of receiving the 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 uh, the entire um, archive, but if you're not paying, um, that content will no longer be accessible after about two or three months. Also, paying subscribers will receive additional monthly content focusing on inside information about that case is not here, stories and photos and maps. And, and explanations, quite frankly, let the, we're going to, we're going to treat that kind of as, is is like a puzzle and explain, you know, stuff I've dropped in there without explanation and why and what it means. So it, it give you like a little insight about where the book is going before anyone else knows about it. Um, and we'll, so we'll see how people like that. Um, and, and of course, if, uh, you know, I'm more likely to answer your questions faster if you're a paying patron, because that's just the way the world goes around. And, and for, for everyone, I will increase the pace of releasing new content starting right now. You will see this very, very quickly. You, you won't have to wait until the end of every month to get a new story or a thought or an idea. It, you know, and it just, it bears reminding, um, in thinking this over, uh, everyone wants more and everybody wishes they had more subscribers 
or more listeners and, and you know more interest or whatever but I in in reflecting on it I got it pretty good some others that I know that that are actually farther along than me as podcasters or writers don't have nearly the base that I have so just be thankful for what you got I mean it bears reminding James Joyce only had one patron uh, Harriet Shaw Weaver so I truly appreciate those who have already signed up as paying subscribers. Thank you. And uh, I, it's not supposed to be a reward system, a quid pro quo, where you pay and you get something. It's supposed to be a thank you, an appreciation. Nevertheless, um, I will provide additional stuff for people who, who uh, pay and good stuff. I know some people when they do this they just provide crap but no it'll be good and we you know it will be content and don't worry i'm not preparing to write uh, the next quebec finnegan's wake Keeping in mind that the spirit of this Substack uh, is a is a writing lab to work out ideas, and I, I never completely know what I'm doing until I've done it. Uh, I know I wanted to write about puzzles and games. In in my heart, I wanted to write a a book, a history of of puzzles and games, but it it, it wouldn't sell. Trust me, because of the, you know the epigrammatic nature of that information you can just go google it and, and find the answer and even putting that information together in interesting ways is, that's that's not going to gel into a book it just is not trust me so that i wanted to do that but you know the the and that's where i was heading but the full bloom of the like the the, the kernel of that information didn't really reveal itself until i'd committed to that intention and so I, I kind of know now why I chose the the name Undiluted Hocus Pocus. And, and I even know how that, that name might spawn like a project. Um, but, I, I, but I didn't at the time that I started writing about it. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the nature of uh, the spontaneous improvisation. You make something up and then, and then later you look back and assess what exactly it is that you've done. So brief today, but um, accelerated pace. We're going to do shorter, but more of these uh, as we move forward into the spring months. And new content, in addition to the old content that is still being run out from season one of Who Killed Teresa, that will continue to run weekly on, on Tuesdays um, until we're done. I think there's 44 episodes and total of season one so, so that'll bring us to uh i believe june and and then and then we'll just continue to run with undiluted hocus pocus or who killed Teresa or both or one or the other but it, it will still be centered on true crime if you like the podcast you can f just follow me on on twitter i'm at justice guy j-u-s-t-u-s-g-u-y um 
or uh, there's there's two Facebook pages. There's Undiluted Hocus Pocus. Um, it's a mouthful, but because it's a mouthful, you'll you'll find two things: my podcast and Martin Gardner's biography. Um, so there's that. On Substack, I'm at John Allure, J O H N A L L O R E point point substack dot com. That's where you'll find uh, this, and I'd love for you to subscribe. You can subs- you can pay. That's great, or you can subscribe for free. That's great too. That's all for this week. This has been Undiluted Hocus Pocus on Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure. Have yourselves a great, great day.